0: So here we go. You ready? Ready. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We'll look at verses 1 through 9 this morning. And it's appropriate that on our return to Philippians that we remind ourselves of what we mentioned multiple times in our early messages. And that is the study of Philippians is like a drive through the Avenue of the Giants or Monument Valley. As we look at each particular chapter, there are pillars of truth that we have heard, memorized, and shared and quoted at one time or another in our Christian life. And our text today is no exception. What we'll find that's unique today is that they are strung together. Once they start, they just keep coming and coming and coming. Familiar passages in Paul's closing remarks to this beloved church. Now, last time we found that Paul was reminding the Philippians, and then us, of things that will be true to the end. And if there is such a thing, our title was kind of a triple entendre. It had three applications to it. and not only are there things that are will be true to the end, we need to be true to the end. And the third thing is, there is an end. That's right. things are going to come to an end. And Peter said this in 1 Peter 4, seven to 11, seven to 11, But the end of all things is at hand. We'll find that phrase in our text this morning. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Paul will make the same admonition, and above all things have what kind of love? A fervent love, a deep and passionate love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Then he gives examples. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, as we watch the world spiral out of control, we need to take heart and recognize that we have, from the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. And we don't need to be driven into a season of fear and uh, emotions and things that drive us into thoughts and actions that can become regrettable uh, later in our days. And it's in during these times of pressure, that our thoughts can run away with us. And that's why we're admonished to take our thoughts captive. And listen, pressure situations that create thoughts, errant thoughts, emotional thoughts, can take on many forms. They can be global, like we're experiencing now with the pandemic. They can be national, like Ukraine is experiencing now. They can be on the personal level, financial, and the list goes on and on and on of things that can create pressure situations in our lives, and push our emotion-based thoughts into regrettable actions. Now, the church is no exception in this. And there are things that happen in the church that ought not to happen, and therefore we have in Scripture a way to deal with them. And this is what Paul is going to deal with in our text today, the personal element. He's already dealt with the Judaizers who were trying to uh, make converts among the Philippians and tell them, well, you know, you got to become a Jew. In order to become a Christian and be circumcised and all those things that he dealt with. Last time he dealt with the ascetics who thought that perfectionism was possible or taught that perfectionism was possible in this life. And then he also dealt with the Gnostics who were the predecessors to the free grace movement we have with us today that say you know what the body and soul are completely separate and therefore anything you do in the flesh is of the flesh and it has nothing to do with the outcome of the human soul. Now In our text today, Paul is going to address a dispute between two believers in the church. Can you imagine? (laughs) Two Christians had a disagreement. I just, I never heard of such a thing. And he was addressing these believers and to the rest of the congregation as to how it should be resolved. Now in Philippians 2, 3 to 7, Paul says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, it is likely that this mention of selfish ambition and conceit is related to the names Paul is going to mention in our text. And thus his reminder that we have the mind of Christ, and we are to think of ourselves and live our lives in the same manner that Christ did by humbling ourselves. Now our title today is, as is often the case, a twist on a familiar adage. We've all heard it, most of us have probably said it, and we have appropriated it for our time and topic today, and put a spin on it. And it's something we know that is true And our variation we'll find this morning is true as well. And our title is just this. You are what you eat. You are what you think is our title this morning. You are what you think. Now, we've all heard you are what you eat is evidenced by the response this morning. But we also need to know that what we feed our minds will become our thoughts and our thoughts will manifest themselves eventually in action. So we need to learn how to take our thoughts captive lest we be captured by them. Now, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Now, the he of this text is the miser, which is preceded by a warning not to eat their bread, meaning don't have fellowship with them, because their words don't match their thoughts. But the same is true for all of us as well. Our words stem from our hearts. And the Hebrew word for heart in this context means the soul. It can mean the appetite or desire. It can even mean the seat of emotions and passion. And that is what the heart usually represents in the Bible. Now, in Luke 6.45, Jesus made this observation, that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what? Good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now, Having dealt with the external strifes that Christians experience, Paul now moves to the internal battles within the church that have sadly plagued the church throughout its generations. Now, we're going to divide our text into three sections. Excuse me. We're going to look at the problem, then the prescription, and then the prevention. And I think we all recognize readily the first step to solving a personal problem is to recognize that you have one. And also, we next have to take the steps to combat it. And we have to have a strategy going forward to avoid falling into the same thing in the future. And this is what Paul is going to outline for us today by reminding us, you are what you think. And as the church, the body of Christ, we have the mind of Christ, so we should think like Christ. And especially when it comes to disputes that arise among us. So would you stand and read this morning Philippians chapter 4. Verses one through through nine, and we'll find that you are what you think. Verse one. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And Lord, we thank you that you are with us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying through this passage and help us to learn to uh, deal with our our differences biblically instead of emotionally and uh, getting pushed into uh, opinion-based activities, Lord. So help us in that, we pray. We look to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now in verses 1 through 4 it's where we're going to find the problem. And the first thing for us to note is regarding Paul's approach. He starts with his motivation for this word of correction. He calls them beloved. He calls them longed for brethren. He even calls them his joy and crown. So he was wishing for them to move beyond this out of his love for them. And this tells us that love does the hard thing because it's the right thing. And this matter between Euodia and Syntyche was disrupting the church, and he implores him individually. He doesn't say, I implore Euodia and Syntyche. He says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche, because he didn't want to take sides in the issue. And he was looking at this matter as something that was harming the whole of the church. Now, the fact that he doesn't uh, mention a departure from Scripture or a doctrinal error, he doesn't direct them to a passage of something where Jesus made mention of something. Tells us this dispute was not doctrinal. It was personal. It was a matter of opinion, a matter of personal preference that was causing this stench in the church. So Paul implores them individually because Paul knew what we know, and that is it takes two to tangle. Well, these two weren't tangling, they were tangling. And Paul was seeking to straighten this out. And the interesting thing, I think, first to note is that Euodia's name means fragrance. Syntyche means with fate. And the fact was the dispute was causing a stench in the church, which is not the church's fate. So Paul does two things. He, as the earthly authority over this church, implores them to be in the same mind. Secondly, he calls on one who is called his true companion. Now the word translated true companion is Syzicus, And somebody, uh, a lot of commentators think Maybe this is an individual's name, but you don't find that as a name in Scripture or anywhere else in in Greek writings, even secular ones. So it's likely that this true companion is actually a reference to Epaphroditus, who he had addressed earlier in this letter with very warm and loving language. Then he mentions to do this along with Clement. Clement is most likely the pastor of the church, and then he includes all the fellow workers to help get these women back on track. Now, the problem between these two, whatever it was, was exacerbated by the fact that neither of them would budge. Neither of them would humble themselves, though both of them had the mind of Christ. As I was working on this message, some, a couple of things popped into my mind from a message from uh, several years ago. And to be honest with you, I don't even remember what uh, text the message came from. But one of the two po- or three points we made that day popped into my mind as I was reading this opening section and studying for today. And that is something we always need to remember. And that is, if you think you're always right, you couldn't be more wrong. If you think you're always right, you're wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. And this, of course, is regarding to matters of opinion, taste, or personal preference. Not matters of Scripture. Listen, if you do what the Bible says, you're always going to be doing the right thing. And the right thing here was to set the matter aside and get back to laboring for the gospel. And this is what Paul Wanted as an end result because he loved these people. and Philippians 3 14 to 15, Paul said this I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are what? Mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, remember, in the original manuscripts, there's no chapters and there are no verses, there's no numbers and, and chapter divisions. And therefore, we cannot overlook the fact that this statement directly precedes what we're reading here today. And this dispute, Paul says, is an act or evidence of spiritual immaturity. And pressing toward the goal for the prize was to be the mind of the mature, not disputing of matters of opinion or taste. Uh, some years ago, I can't remember if it was in our first or second trip uh, to South Africa before Calvary Chapel Parle uh, was planted Um We were standing in a church in Wellington, South Africa, and I had somebody take a picture because uh, just a wonderful, wonderful pastor from a few generations back, a man named Andrew Murray, who wrote a book called Absolute Surrender. If you haven't read it, you ought to. Uh, He pastored this church, and the current pastor was explaining to us somewhat sheepishly and ashamedly that this church had a committee that fought for 17 years over whether or not to remove some of the pews and build a mother's room out of the material so it would match the rest of the room. 17 years over whether or not to remove some pews. And uh, and we do know who won that debate because there was a mother's room that we were standing in front of. But is that 17 wasted years? Absolutely, no question about it. Now this takes us to our first takeaway concerning the problem in Philippi, and it's just this. Listen this morning. Perishing souls are worth fighting for, personal opinions are not. Perishing souls are worth fighting for, personal opinions are not. And we also need to mention that these bickering women did have their names in the book of life, as Paul says, which reminds us that Christians don't always do the right thing. I'm sorry? Christians don't always do the right thing, but they should. And this is where Paul is taking their minds to. And he drew the minds of the readers back to what is truly important when he mentioned that this pair of bickerers once labored with him in the gospel, implying they need to get back to what is important. And he was making the point that you are what you think. And these two people were thinking about who was right over an opinion-based matter, and it sidetracked them from what really matters. Now, kind of interesting, I have mentioned to you before, uh, what a wonderful life uh, having a YouTube channel brings you. And since proximity, and since the awaiting his return conference last weekend, and even since the q and A I I did with Amir last Friday, uh, I've been condemned to hell for at least uh, 12 times. You know what my crime is? Teaching the pre-tribulation rapture. Or teaching the rapture at all. So, you know, I'm glad for these enlightened individuals because somehow I came up with the understanding that you were saved by Jesus' blood, not your eschatological position. Uh, I didn't know I was an error in that. But there are those out there who want to waste time and debate over these things. And and listen, Jesus is coming for us. It's what the Bible says. And listen, Colossians tells us in 3, 1 to 4, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will appear with him in what? And listen, if your mind is set on things above, you are what you think. If your mind is set on earthly things, you are what you think. And Paul would admonish the church in Rome in 12:1 and 2, I beseech you, I plead with you, I earnestly cry to you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Of your mind. And the end result of that renewed mind is that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These women were becoming, and it can be men, it doesn't matter. Paul was just settling a matter between uh, men do dumb things too. I remember that one time I did. It isn't about women. That's not what the Bible is talking about. It's talking about disputes in the church. And these two were becoming a distraction in the church. And when the church is distracted, it ceases from proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And listen, let me address one of the major opinions or matters of taste-based distractions in the church today. It's a biggie. And it's impacted this church, and I believe probably every other Uh, contemporary church and the fact is there is division in the church today over worship music and listen this morning are you ready do you want to know the truth do you want a definitive answer to the battle over hymns versus contemporary worship music Uh, the yeses are getting weaker and weaker (laughs) as we go listen You will not find, listen to me, you will not find in Scripture proof that hymns are the only form of authentic worship. You will not find in Scripture that there is a prohibition against contemporary worship music. And if you can't prove it from Scripture, it's your opinion. And listen, These are matters of opinion and taste, and all the time spent debating and fighting over this is time taken away from laboring in the gospel and creating a stench in the church instead of a fragrance under Christ. Now listen, I'm not going to say something like that and then not prove it from Scripture. Ephesians 5.19 says, To speak to one another in psalms and what? Hymns. Speak. Did you catch that? Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and what? Hymns, admonishing meaning teaching, exhortation, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Listen, the word hymn in the Bible means a religious ode, and it means a religious ode in the pagan religions. It means a religious ode in false religions. It has nothing to do directly associating with the church or Christianity. It is a religious ode. It is a hymn, and it can apply to something pagan just as easily as it can apply to Christianity. There is nothing in the Bible about the type of music that God prefers except that which glorifies His name. And listen, both instances, both instances, where the word hymn is used in the New Testament, it is in reference to speaking, not singing. We just read them. And those are the only two places where this subject is addressed, uh, for our purposes, if you will, this morning. We are to sing and make melody to God, in our hearts, because the fact of the matter is, it is our hearts that God wants us to worship Him from and the, the truth is, I, I think a lot of these uh, folks who like to to bash contemporary Christian music uh, seem to forget that when the organ made its way into the church, it received the same reception that drums did. you know why? Because the organ came from the pubs. It was an instrument that was used in the pub. So when it, made, it way, made its way into the church, the church's response was, it's from the devil, just like the drums have received. The, I liked that drum solo this morning. Man, we got a good drummer. I, I love that. And uh, some of you from back in the day remember um, Love Song and the drum solos that John would play and all those things. And they were worship to the Lord. Listen, you can wor- it's about the heart. You can worship God with any type of music. And listen, I love all kinds of music except one, and I'm not going to rap about that this morning. But but you know what? It's just not my thing. I'm not going to stand up here and say these guys that are rapping Scripture are an abomination to the Lord. They're rapping Scripture. And if people are getting reached for Jesus, that's something we ought to celebrate, not condemn. So listen, when facing an internal non-doctrinal church problem, remember, perishing souls are worth fighting for. Personal opinions are not. And Paul now gives the prescription to treat the problem in 4 through 7. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Then he begins these monuments, even after verse 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God resulting in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through whom? Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now, while it may be an obvious prescription that we are to rejoice in the Lord, I don't think it's as obvious how our rejoicing is impacted by bickering over opinions. Those things take our focus off the Lord, and Paul is by implication telling us, keep your eyes on Christ, keep them lifted up, keep looking to the Lord. And he adds, Let your gentleness, which is a beautiful word, it actually means sweet reasonableness. Let your sweet reasonableness be made known to all. And then he says, The Lord is at hand. Now, commentators disagree on exactly what that means. Some say it means you need to remember God is omnipresent. And he's always, wherever you are, he's there. He's there during your discussions and he's there during your debates. And that is true. God is here this morning, right? Amen. But that's not the intent and that's not what the context points to. Remember what we read from 1 Peter 4 earlier? The end of all things is at hand. That's what Paul's talking about. And he's saying, listen, time is too short to be wasted on fighting over opinions. We got better things to do. We have better things to do. And the Greek word translated as anxious here has multiple meanings. It means to be troubled with cares, it can be just translated as worry. But the context favors this meaning, and that is to seek to promote one's own interests. And instead of doing that, trying to be the winner in an in a, uh, opinion-based uh, debate, Paul says, pray earnestly with thanksgiving, making your requests known to God. And the end result of that is in direct contrast to what had been happening in Philippi, which was an absence of peace and an opinion-driven emotions and discord, Instead of the promised peace that passes understanding that guards the heart and mind. And listen, if we are always thinking about ways to win the debate, we need to remember we are what we think. And we're seeking to promote our own interest. Now again, I don't recall the message that it was from, or the book that it was from, from that quote that I mentioned before. But another one came to mind from that same message, whatever it was. And that is in matters of non doctrinal behavior, behavioral debates, Doing right is more important than being right. Doing right is more important than being right. And we might say this is a prescription Paul is giving for the problem in Philippi. And we're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 8, again, another monumental passage, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will what? Direct your paths. Now get this, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. What does what it result in? It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, when an argumentative spirit is replaced with sweet reasonableness, an earnest prayer, prayer replaces promoting your own interests with hearts of thanksgiving, presenting the matter to God. No matter the outcome, the end result is going to be a guarded heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, even if the person never comes around and realizes you were right all along, which is always true. I mean, isn't that what we think? Isn't that why there's a debate in the first place? We think they're wrong. We're right. And yet Isaiah says in 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in a fixed position on you because he trusts in you. Now, you know, I was thinking as I was uh, preparing for this message over the past week, um, Terry is an incredible homemaker. She's a fabulous decorator. And our home is beautiful. And when I was young and dumb, there were times I would come home and things would be in different places. There were times uh, when I would come home from work and the walls were a different color than when I left in the mornings. <laughs> Sometimes they'd be a different color a couple of weeks later than the last color they were. And I remember thinking and saying, why don't you just leave things alone? Why do you always have to move them? Why do you always have to paint everything? And then later, when uh, not much later, when my man brain finally arrived in the mail, (laughs) I thought, what do you care? The house is immaculate. Everything is in place. She's taking care of our home wonderfully, as she always says. What do I care if she likes to paint the wall? What do I care if she likes to move the furniture around? And the end result of that is there was peace in my heart and mind, and she was able to enjoy her efforts more. As well. And listen, when opinion-based disputes and problems arise, the prescription is this reminder. Listen, you ready for this one? Yes. Mike is ready. The rest of you get on the bus. <laughs> Minding other people's business is meddling, not a ministry. Minding other people's business is meddling, not a ministry. And I, I was thinking we would do well to remember the words of D.L. Moody, who said this, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other man. And listen, 1 Peter 4.15, Peter said this. Listen to this. The scripture has always just kind of blown my mind. That might be a small explosion, but it does blow my mind. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a what? Busy a busybody in other people's matters. That is some pretty ugly company that the busybody travels with. And that ought to remind us of how God feels about that behavior the behavior of the meddler, the behavior of the busybody. And Paul is saying to Yodi and Syntyche and all who took sides in the debate that sweet reasonableness is the better response to the dispute rather than promoting one's own interest or opinion. I love the words of J. Vernon McGee in his homespun wisdom. He said, the only exercise some Christians get is jumping to conclusions and running other people down. <laughs> That's not to be our exercise, Amen. Listen, have you ever been kept up at night by something somebody else said or did that you didn't agree with? Come on, you have too. Somebody has said something, done something you didn't agree with, and it bugged you and kept you up at night. It's happened to all of us. Listen, I got aggravated the other day watching a pastor. I don't know why he popped up on uh, the, the screen, but I'd seen him a couple of days earlier And he was standing in his living room explaining, you know, we're meeting again today online because we haven't opened up since the pandemic started. And then he popped up a day or so later and he was standing in his living room and he was staring into the camera and he said, I'm tired of seeing people living in fear. (laughs) He said, I am tired of seeing people being oppressed. I'm tired of seeing people being held down. And you know what my first thought was? (laughs) <laughs> I thought, listen, you're living in fear right now. You're under oppression right now by choice. And you know what? It bugged me for a couple of days. And I kept thinking about it and revisiting it over and over and over. It's like, what's the matter with this guy? Why is, why is he doing that? And then this hit me. Maybe his wife died from COVID. Maybe COVID swept through that church like a wildfire and killed dozens of people. Maybe that was his experience. I didn't know anything about him. Or maybe he was in a situation like we were on 17th Street when we had to go online because the people that owned the building would have kicked us out if we met in person. Maybe that was a situation. I don't know where he was from. I don't know his story. I knew nothing about him, but I'll tell you what I did do. I was meddling in my mind about his affairs that I knew nothing of. And I made a determination about what kind of man he was, what kind of pastor he was, though I knew nothing about him. And the point is this, it's easy for all of us to meddle and be busybodies in other people's matters. And Jesus gave us a prescription for that in Matthew 7, 3-5, where he said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Let's skip that next word. <laughs> Hypocrite. First remove the what? And then you will see clearly to remove the what? Speck from your brother's eye. We have, listen, we have clear directions on how to handle biblically defined doctrinal and behavioral sins in the scriptures. And they are not subject to negotiation. Matters of opinion, however, we would do well to take the moody approach and do what Jesus said and see our own shortfalls as a plank and those and others as a speck. Listen, we don't want to be like the Pharisee that Jesus said, prayed, I thank the Lord I am not like other men. Because Jesus said, you're right, you're not like other men, you're worse. And this approach that Paul is presenting to us as a prescription will guard our hearts, the source of our words, and our minds, the source of our thoughts and therefore our actions in Christ Jesus. So now how do we keep from falling into the same trap again? We've all heard that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Now Paul will give us the preventative for repeating division and discord-causing behaviors in the church in 8 and 9. And again, some pillars of Scripture here. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, listen, the word finally that we encounter back in chapter 3, verse 1, means from this point on, or going forward. Paul says, going forward in this situation with this debate and discord and the stench that's been caused in this church from now on, whatever is true, whatever is noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, I've been saving these next verses I want to quote for this last section because I think we need to understand that the prevention part is not just a good idea, it's the implementation of better practices that will keep us from falling into something that God actually hates. In Proverbs 16 to 19 we're told of six things the Lord hates and seven that are abomination to him. Now when you see this kind of sequence in scripture and that type of phrasing, it means that the last thing listed is the thing God hates the most. They are in ascending order. And the six things that God hates and the seventh that is an abomination are a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running through evil, a false witness that speaks lies, and one who sows what? Discord. Discord among the brethren. Discord in the church. Discord between believers is something God hates. And the word means strife. It means contentions. It can mean a heated disagreement. And the ounce of prevention, since we are what we think, and our thoughts leads to actions, are not taking some kind of vile-tasting medicine to uh, prevent this from happening again. Some of you young people or younger people probably don't know what castor oil is, but uh, there's a lot of us who do. And it's, it's horrid. But you're supposed to take it because it will make you feel better. And, and, And that's not what Paul is prescribing here. That's not his prevention. What Paul offers as a preventative for discord is more like saying, you know what, you can cure the common cold by eating ice cream. And we'd be all over that, right? He's telling us to do something good, not something horrid to prevent this. Something beautiful, something that is wonderful, something that is even transformative. Paul doesn't say, you know what, when you come into a dispute, bite your lip, hold your tongue, better be seen and not heard. No, he says, you know what, here's what you do. You meditate, continually focus on true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good, report, and praiseworthy things. Now the application is broad, of course, to this as we view and approach all of life. But the context here is two women who are fighting in church over a matter of opinion and taste. Now, with that in mind, we can understand that what Paul is actually saying in this same passage is that we need to look for the true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good, report, and praiseworthy things in each other. And because the truth is, you're going to find what you're looking for. And if you're looking for something praiseworthy in other believers, you're going to find it. Even, hang on. Even if they like a different kind of music than you Listen, if you're looking for something of good report, even if the other person doesn't believe tongues is for today, what are you going to find? You're going to find it. You're going to find something of good report. If you're looking for something lovely, even in a mid tripper, what are you going to find? You're going to find something lovely. By the way, the Greek word translated lovely is the only use of that word in all of the Bible. And I hope we're getting the point because here's our last one. It's based on the ounce of prevention Paul has given to us. Listen this morning. We're different. The body is diverse, right? We're different kinds of people. we got different personalities. There's room for all of us in God's church. Amen. Amen. So here's the point. Everyone, say everyone. everyone. Everyone who knows Jesus is someone to be thankful for. Christ. Everyone who knows Jesus is someone to be thankful for. Listen, if they're messed up, you can be thankful that God is saving messed up people. If they have a sandpaper personality, yes, there are those in the church. You can be thankful that God is saving people with sandpaper personalities. If they like styles of music you don't like, you can be thankful that musical preference is not what determines who goes to heaven. You'll find what you're looking for. And John says in 1 John 2, 9-11, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Paul started this whole journey by saying, you know, you can love people and do the hard thing with them. And this is what he's talking about here. John is saying exactly the opposite. If your hate is for somebody who's different than you in the body of Christ, you've got darkness in you. And God hates discord in the church because it means we're looking for the wrong things in each other. And if we're looking for the wrong things in each other, we're finding them. Instead of rejoicing in the wonderful truth that God saved messed up, mixed up, sandpaper people, including you and me. And Paul's, uh, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, obviously, would implore the church today to be a fragrance and not a stench. Because a stench is not our fate, but rather to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord is his desire. And listen, Yodia and Syntyche were stinking up the church. And Paul implored them to get back to laboring in the gospel. And I think the Holy Spirit is employing the church today to do that same thing. We're running short on the time thing. Jesus is coming. And we need to be telling people about him. And if all we're doing is preaching election or preaching against contemporary Christian music or some other side issue that has plagued the church for generations, then we are not preaching the gospel. And and nobody, you know, there's, there's a lot of people today that are preaching the wrong JC. And we're not here to preach John Calvin. We're here to preach Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not here to preach and promote James Arminius. We're here to preach Jesus Christ. We are not here to promote one style of music over another. We are here to preach Jesus Christ. We are not here to bicker over uh, translations of the Bible as long as they're an actual valid translation from actual valid manuscripts. We are here to preach Jesus Christ. I was on the air one time with a mirror and somebody had... uh, Said, you know what? You, you, you know, Amir is sitting there. We're on the air, he's reading from a Hebrew Bible. And the person said, You need to be reading from the King James. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff is all a waste, it's all a waste of time. And Paul says, You know what, Yodia and Syntyche. Your opinion stuff needs to get kicked to the curb, and you need to get back to the central cause of the church, which is preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And as, you know, Paul said, the Lord is at hand. Peter said, the Lord is at hand. I believe today, the Lord is at hand. Amen. So let's get back to what's important. Tell people about Jesus and uh, quit fighting over non-essential stuff in the church. And, of course, you know I'm talking about other churches like a good Christian. <laughs> right? We all fall into it. We all fall into some matter of opinion where we think somebody else is wrong because they think differently than we do. So let's start looking for the good. Because you know what? We're going to find it if that's what we're looking for. Somebody say